Pushkin. Legacy of Speed is executive produced by Tracksmith and presented by Puma. Hello, hello, Legacy of Speed listeners. Malcolm here. Today, I'm sharing a special episode of another Pushkin podcast, What's Your Problem? I think all you runners out there will enjoy it. On What's Your Problem? Former Planet Money host Jacob Goldstein talks with entrepreneurs and engineers about the future they're trying to build and the problems they have to solve to get there. In this episode, Jacob sits down with Casper Copetti, co-founder of On, the athletic shoe company, and asks, how can you sell tens of millions of running shoes a year and then take them all back to turn them into new shoes? I hope you enjoy it. To hear more, search for What's Your Problem? wherever you get podcasts. In 2008, Casper Capetti got a call from an old friend, a former triathlete who had made a prototype for a new kind of running shoe. Um, he called me and said, hey, Casper, I, I co-invented this running um, uh, technology. Can you help me bring it to market? And I said, absolutely not. Are you crazy? <laughs> Are you out of your mind? Um, you will not stand a chance against the ASICs and Nikes of this world. Casper had a PhD in economics. He was working as a consultant at McKinsey, which is to say he knew how to evaluate his friend's business idea. I mean, it was probably just the most stupid idea that I ever heard. <laughs> you know, the, literally the, the, the market is littered with um, running shoe companies that didn't make it. Casper was impressed by the shoe that his friend had invented. It looked different than other shoes, had these like padded cylinders running across the sole. And the runners who tried it really seemed to like it. But come on. A new running shoe company, really? From like first having the the thought of hey, could we turn this into a company? Uh, until actually starting it, it took us more than two years, and it was okay. an up and down, basically um, mustering up the courage, then kind of like oh no, um, let's let's go back into our golden cage and comfort zone, and then ah, oh, had this feeling of oh no, I should, we should have tried it until we finally jumped. You know, you have to take the plunge at some point, and I'm glad we did. The company they started was called On, O-N. It went public last year, and it's now worth around $7 billion. I'm Jacob Goldstein, and this is What's Your Problem? My guest today is Casper Capetti, co-founder of On. Casper's problem is this. How can you sell tens of millions of shoes a year and then take them all back and turn them into new shoes? We'll get to that problem later in the show. But first, I wanted to talk to Casper about that first problem, how you start a running shoe company to compete against these multinational giants that seem to have the market locked up. One of Casper and his co-founder's first decisions was this. They'd compete by making their shoes more expensive than almost everything else on the market. So look, when you're based in Switzerland and you're, you're founding a company uh, with an innovation, Basically, the only strategy that's available to you is a premium strategy. <laughs> like, that sounds fancy. Sw Switzerland plus innovation. Well, that sounds expensive to me. You know, we have one of the, the you know, the, we have the highest tellers in the world, a very high cost base, and it's innovation driven. Um, and we looked at the marketplace and then we saw that about 30% uh, of the volume and about half of the revenue is generated by runners that really care about their equipment. And they're willing uh -huh. to spend 30, 40, 50 bucks more to stay away from injury. Um, uh -huh. And that's, that's the market we went after. So you decide you're going to go after the runners. You have another choice to make, right? This is 2010 when you launched, I believe. Is that right? Um, that's correct, yeah. 
So that's a moment when lots of companies are starting to sell straight to consumers, to not go through retail stores like clothing brands traditionally have, but rather just sell on the internet, right? Which does seem more efficient, but you don't do that. Not only are you are you selling your shoes more expensively, you're not going to, when you launch, you don't really say, okay, let's take advantage of this new direct-to-consumer channel, right? Why? We, of course, asked that, that same question at the time. What we, what we felt, and I think it was validated later on, was um, to really break through with runners, you need the validation of the technology. And, and there's two ways of validating. You can either work with athletes and win a ton of races, and or you can be with uh, the run specialty stores. So, you know, the run specialty stores are typically owned by a former college runner, professional runner, that you know works closely with the community and becomes a destination. You know the the running stores. You know it's not like they were waiting for us. And what we did is um, we we sent these influential store owners um, a, a pair of test shoes. Uh-huh. And then I would call them a week or two later and say, "Hey, did you have a run? How did you like them?" And they were like, "Oh no, all these weird looking shoes. No, I I, I never put them <laughs> on. And please don't call me again." So we realized that that wasn't working. So um, we said, well, how can we get them to try the shoes? And basically, we had to force them. And so I would call them and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to be in Hamburg. Or I'm going to be in Boston next week. Uh, do you have time to go for a run? And all these, you know, they're all former runners, um, and they still run probably most days. And running can be lonely. So they said, hey, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, why not? And, uh, you know, I actually had no no plans already to be in Boston or Hamburg, but I booked a, a flight ticket, <laughs> flew there, um, and brought a test shoe. And, you know, these they're all nice guys, and, and a lot of them are now close friends. So yeah. they couldn't turn me down when I said, hey, well, you know, do you mind uh, slipping these on for the run? And typically after a 40-minute or hour workout, they would be like, hey, this was a good pace, and uh, my legs, you know, feel actually pretty fresh. Tell me about the technology. That's how the conversation started. There's a moment I've read about that's interesting to me where where you start getting into Foot Locker, but then if I understand it correctly, you, you sort of sell into too many Foot Lockers. You kind of over overexpand a little bit in, in terms of where your shoes are available. Tell me about that. So at the time, Foot Locker um, started a run specialty format called Run by Foot Locker. And basically, we, um, we worked with those three stores um, that they had. And then uh, they were selling through like crazy. And then they asked us to put on into 20 foot locker stores. And that was a bit, a bit of a risk when we, we, it was, yeah, basically it was off strategy at the time. And so we said, well, okay, we can do 20, 20 doors. And we, we ended up being in Times Squares and, and, and we had tremendous success. So we have a, a window display in Times Squares and people were emailing me, Hey, you guys made it. You're in New York and so on. And then they expanded to 80 stores, and that was too much. You know, basically, the same 20 stores that sold on well, they continued to sell well, and everybody else uh, you know, in the Midwest, for example, nobody was waiting for this weird Swiss brand. And we, we, we walked away with, uh, um, yeah, with, uh, with definitely a, a learning that, that we're still holding on to this day. And what was the lesson there? Yeah, you basically, if you want to be premium, um, you always want to keep uh, supply below demand. You know, you always want to have scarcity because nothing builds desire like scarcity. Huh. Um, so you basically 
want to sell like slightly fewer shoes than you could? Is that that sort of the <laughs> exactly. optimal to you? You know, that's you know, that's that's the story of 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 our lives really. Ever since we started on, basically, you know, we've been growing at about eighty five percent on average every year, but we're always you know we could we could have grown much faster, and so we're we're always kind of um, you know threading the needle, and we always have to say no, and we have to you know like. Even sometimes I I'm too late, you know. I I want to get a, a really cool shoe that we we launched and they're sold out. <laughs> well, is part of that? I mean, there is a fashion element to shoes, obviously, right? People don't call it fashion; mm-hmm. they call it uh, streetwear, right? Or you know, people talk about being sneakerheads, but it's fashion, right? And and that seems like a classic fashion, especially high end fashion strategy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we have a love-hate relationship with fashion. Um, when we started on, we had... I mean, you uh, are fashion, right? Like, well, you clearly you. are fashion. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Let's talk about it specifically, right? So you get into, like, Bloomingdale's and Nordstrom, which is, yeah. like, the opposite of the little running shop, right? It's people <laughs> buying fancy clothes. And, and it happens to be the case that over the sort of 2000 teens, right, as you're growing as a company, athleisure is this growing segment where like rich people are buying expensive workout clothes and not working out in them, right? Like Lululemon being the classic version there. But it seems like that's part of what you're riding, right? Absolutely. Look, in the beginning, it bothered the heck out of us when somebody wore our high-tech performance products um, with jeans in the street. At some point, we almost said, well, you know, if you really want to wear ons um, in the street, uh, well, we can do better. And we started uh, designing for that market specifically. One place where the streetwear piece comes in is in your work with Roger Federer, weirdly. So maybe we could talk about that now. Like, tell me, tell me how you came to work with Federer. <laughs> Certainly the most famous Swiss athlete now Maybe the most famous Swiss person now. I can't think of another more famous. Oh, Swiss he's definitely person the most now. famous Swiss person. Um, look, Switzerland is a small place, so he's basically my neighbor. Joking aside, um, um, you know, when 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 Roger was done with his previous partner, um, he he had you know basically had to wear something, and in Switzerland at the time, his previous partner meaning meaning. It was Nike, yeah. yeah. So he had, I think he, he, he worked there. He played in Nikes for over 20 years of his career. And all of a sudden, pictures started popping up in, you know, with Roger wearing uh, ons. And so we reached out and said, look, Roger, we're happy to send you the latest, greatest, so you don't have to go and buy them in the store. And at some point, we get a phone call from his agent and it said, he said, well, uh, Roger's just uh, landing, coming back from a tournament. He has twenty minutes to meet you guys. Uh, are you around? <laughs> and we said sure, and uh, and he came, and uh, we ended up talking for more than two hours. Um, and <laughs> yeah, at one point, we said, hey, "Roger, we really have to go back to work." Um, <laughs> but what what came of that was is that true? Or is that, that is true? That, okay, that is well. You know, we did it very politely, but we can. You know, yeah. Um, shortly after, he reached back out and said, "Hey, let's go for dinner," and and from that, um, a conversation started. Um, could be getting involved, and you know, of course, the only thing that that he had experience with, and frankly, most of the the athletes, was just an endorsement deal, a yeah, sponsorship. Which for which for Federer would be what tens of millions of dollars, right? Presumably more money than your little running company had, right? There's no way you're going to be able to sign him to an endorsement deal. You can't afford. Yeah, it, it could you know, um, it could be a, a 
couple tens of millions of dollars per year um, yeah. to, for 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 a regular sponsorship deal with him. So, um, so basically, you know, we came to the conclusion that we can't afford to pay him. Um, he's the much bigger brand than On was at the time, but he could pay us, and so he became an investor. And we literally made the the shortest ever agreement um, I think ever done in the history of sports, where it's basically said, look. Um, there are no obligations on either side. He's an investor, um, and you know if if we have fun together, we're going to make this thing big. And out of that came a, a beautiful uh, line of uh, lifestyle products, as you're aware. And then, as as his comeback came near, um, against the advice of his medical and training trainer staff, um, he said, "Look, I want to come back. I have a new knee. I want to come back in a new shoe." And so in like record time, literally like four or five months, we, we developed the professional tennis shoe that uh, he then wore in his comeback. And, and he put his whole experience into that, into that shoe. So that shoe, if I understand correctly, like if I go back to your running shoes, those you started with the most hardcore runners, people at running stores. But the Federer shoe, you did not go for like the hardcore tennis uh, community, right? You, you debuted it. At a at a streetwear store in Manhattan, is that right? Yeah. So look, the you know the white tennis sneaker is is one of the beloved um, lifestyle silhouettes. Like you know, in in, uh, in in many languages, actually, sneaker is called tennis. Um, yeah, tennis shoes. Right. When I was a kid, we called tennis, them tennis, tennis shoes. shoes. Exactly. Tennis. Right? Yeah. And I mean, in a way, this sort of speaks to that arc of going from just being like a hardcore runners only running shoe to being kind of a fashion shoe, right? I mean, Federer is wearing it, so obviously it's a legit tennis shoe. But also your sell people are lined up around the block in Manhattan and it's costs $200 and then it sells for twice that on the secondary market. This is like a sneakerhead fashion shoe. Yeah, absolutely. Still to come, the next big problem for Casper and On, how to take back all the shoes they sell, tens of millions of pairs a year, and turn them into new shoes. That's the end of the ads. Now we're going back to the show. Let's talk about your subscription shoe. You launched a, a subscription shoe last year. Tell me about that business. Yeah, so um, 99% of the sporting goods products are made from crude oil. Rather than, and is that know, true of shoes the, also? Are shoes basically... Shoe, shoes, apparel, anything, uh -huh. you know. And, and, it's, and it's basically plastic of one kind or another, right? Yeah. Shoe, running shoes are plastic. All the foam, all the this, all the that, it's it's plastic. Running shoes are plastic and plastic is is crude oil. Yeah. It yeah. sucks. And so, you know, and, and what's worse is, you know, you, you go through a pair of running shoes maybe four times a year, two times a year, depends how often. Yeah, it depends on how much you run, right? I feel like what is the median runner? About, about twice a year, right? About twice a year, yes, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, then, then people throw them away. And in the U.S., they will end, end up in a landfill in Switzerland. They're, uh, they're burnt. But it's not, a, it's not a sustainable business model by any means. So we said, hey, let's change that. And um, we looked into uh, two things. First of all, we want to move away from petrol-based uh, raw materials. Um, and so this particular uh, model that you're speaking about, which we call Cyclone, is made from beans, castor beans that uh, you know were cultivated back in the seventies when the uh, energy oil crisis was was active, and you could actually make petrol from it. And the other thing was 
um, how can we make our product circular? So how can we design a product, whether it's apparel or footwear, that you know you can use, but then you can easily take back, take apart, and make a new product out. And so with Cyclone, uh, we did that. But then we realized, and we were not the first company. There are maybe two or three others that have designed circular running shoes. But we're the first ones to take circularity series in terms of that we said, hey, we want these products back. And and then you know we came up with this idea, let's not sell this product. Let's only make it available by subscription. So running as a service, similar how you're watching movies now on Netflix and you, you no longer own the movie. Well, this has been a tremendous uh, hit with consumers. And we're just at the at the end of the first six month cycle. And and guess what? We have received back over 80% of the shoes. That in terms of recycling rates is is unprecedented. And that's before we even, you know, go out and threaten them with penalties and charge their <laughs> credit card. Just just people are well, certainly the people who sign up first are going to be the most likely to be good about it, right? They're the people who are most excited by the model. So, so that's definitely what we hoped for, yeah. Right. Uh, how much does it cost, and what do you get if you if I sign up for shoes as a service? So you pay a thirty dollar month uh, subscription fee, okay, and you get uh, two, maybe three pairs of running shoes a year, depending on how often you run. But the default is basically so thirty bucks a month is like three hundred and uh, sixty bucks a year. Yeah, so two times one hundred eighty bucks, like a, you know, high end running shoe. Um, yes. Plus, you do yes. you do good for for the planet. How often am I allowed to get new shoes if I'm paying three hundred sixty bucks? Basically, as often as you as you'd like. You okay. know, if you're if you're doing, you know, the, the shoes will last you about five five hundred miles. That's typical standard running shoe, right? Standard um, running shoe, yeah. I noticed that this subscription shoe is all white, bright white, which I thought might be sort of clever. I don't know if it's marketing at some level. It's like, oh, if your shoe gets dirty and you want really white shoes, which is like a thing now, right? Good news. Just ask us and we'll send you a new bright white pair. Well, this in this particular case, you know, that that's purely for recycling reasons, you know, because if Aha, you mix okay. colors... Okay. And you have red, green, and blue pairs. You know the yeah, next yeah. one will be brown. Yeah, that's yeah. not that's not a very popular color. So you know, by keeping them white, not only do we save a ton of water because we don't have to dye the fabrics, but it's also much easier to recycle. But you know, Cyclone is interesting because it's our our laboratory for experimentation, and we learned um, not only to make a shoe out of fewer fewer uh, pieces. You know, your average running shoe maybe is made out of 100 different pieces. Cyclone is made out of about five. Huh. I know that not all recycling is, a, is actually more efficient than making things from raw materials. It kind of depends on what's being recycled and how. In this instance, is it more efficient? Oh, is absolutely. it better? Is I it mean, a smaller yeah. carbon footprint? Yeah, when you look at, you know, you look at carbon or waste or water, um, we'll save anywhere, you know, over the, the lifespan of a cyclone. So, you know, this is about eight cycles that, you know, the material stays in the loop. Um, we will save about 80% 80 80 of the waste, about uh, 50% of the carbon footprint, um, uh, about 70% of water uh, used. So it's, it's, it's very, very substantial. So we were talking about the subscription business, and clearly you just started it, and it's sort of in the experimental phase. 
how much of your business do you think it's going to be in whatever time frame you want? Five years? The truth of the matter is we don't know. Um, this yeah. is an experiment and we're learning. Um, I frankly don't think that subscription is going to be a, a huge thing in sports um, because huh. consumers want choice. And uh, we've looked at rolling all these choices into a subscription model and it just makes things very, very messy and complicated. Um, but for for right now, um, for what it's worth, I think to actually – uh, you know, have very high return rates um, in terms of you know recycling rates. Um, it's a good tool and maybe it has its place. Um, we only started this thing about six or seven months ago, so we're still learning. If we get to ten percent of our business, I think it's going to be a big number. I'm, I guess, a little disappointed in some at some level that uh, that it's not going to be bigger. That you don't think it's going to be bigger. I mean. I mean, a it would make a tidy end to the interview, so that's of course important to me. But but also, like you know, I like the efficiency piece. I will say, I also, I have been buying basically the same pair of Nikes every six months for ten years or something. And you know, I always just buy last year's model because it's cheaper. Um, but you know, if they had a subscription model that was what I pay now or a little less, I would do it just because it's essentially what I'm doing already. I'd, I don't know what to do with my old shoes. Why do you think it's not going to be bigger? Why do you think it's only going to be, you know, 10% if it's really successful? Well, let me, let me rephrase that. You know, the, this is no, the... I don't want you to rephrase it. I, <laughs> no, I don't, don't, don't revise your estimate based on my sentiment. Just tell me why you think what you think. Look, we're, as I said earlier, this is an experiment at scale and we're, we're, we're learning. Um, and if it turns out that people really love the subscription model, I mean, that would be a, a really positive outcome. Um, and we're going to have to figure out the whole circularity piece because we have um, publicly committed to bringing every on product back by the end of the decade. If it's not going to be subscription, like what's it going to be? What are your other options? It's probably going to be a combination of things. So right now, for in the subscription um, program, we're using uh, mail, um, basically FedEx or UPS, to bring it back. Fast forward uh, three or four years, you'll be able to um, bring back your running shoes and in, in, in basically where you, where you bought them, similar like you'd, you'd do it with other products. Um, because you know the, this business model that our industry works on taking crude oil out of the earth and then throwing it away is just not sustainable better you know neither for the planet nor economically i mean i feel like the economics of it clearly work now and if you really wanted it to change what you would want is to impose a price on throwing it away right make it more expensive to throw it away make it cheaper to return it to the company or make that price embedded uh, in the price of the shoe when you buy it at retail, right? Like that's what we've done with cans, right? There's a deposit that sort of embeds that price in the retail price and makes it worth uh, collecting and returning, right? Do you see any sort of top-down price changes like that? Is that something yeah, that absolutely. you might do? Seems, absolutely. seems more EU-ish than American-ish. Just, 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 just wait. <laughs> um, look, plastics is the new smoking. Um, you know the you know, and you're in the plastics business. This is absolutely like RJR saying that. Hey, yeah. it's well, I wish they they had they had said that back in the day. You know, yes. joking aside, um, you know, similar to how uh, oil um, fuel is 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 taxed, um, there will be a tax on on plastic, and there will be a uh, it will be mandatory eventually 
to to recycle plastics like it is with other things that you mentioned um whether that is five years out or 10 years out or 15 years out it's definitely the right thing to do once that comes in in into play it will take, definitely make economic sense to be a first mover um and you know in a, in an on product today there may be four or five dollars worth of um of of plastics uh, that we can recuperate in this way We'll be back in a minute with a Swiss and running shoe-themed lightning round. Now let's get back to what's your problem. I want to finish with a lightning round. Bunch of right. quick questions. What's the first pair of shoes you had that you remember? Um, Adidas is with a really nice Velcro. Oh, the Velcro. It's, it makes so much sense, Velcro. Why do you think Velcro didn't like Oh, especially catch when you're on? a five-year-old. Yeah. Is it, is it actually worse? Like you, from your sort of shoe science knowledge, is Velcro a worse closure than laces? Laces are a remarkably persistent technology. Well, the laces allow you to really finely adjust, um, you know, how, how, how tight the shoe is in different parts of the, of, of the upper. But Velcro is a, is a very nice technology. Um. What situation is too formal to wear sneakers? None. Meeting the Pope? No, absolutely. I, 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 I did them, our IPO in, in sneakers and, uh, and a pair of shorts. So well, Of course you did the IPO if, in sneakers. That's marketing. Okay. Getting married. Getting married. Sneakers to get married? Uh, absolutely. I actually got married barefoot. Uh, well, that, that's a hippie classic. I respect that. Um, okay. Let's do some quick Switzerland comparisons um gruyere or emmental gruyere eiger or matterhorn i must say the matterhorn is very spectacular stad or samoritz samoritz that's where i live so you worked at at, at the consultancy mckinsey before you started on i'm curious if you think mckinsey is overrated or underrated i think it's overrated um, I feel probably management consultants are, are overused and, and companies uh, should do things uh, more with their own staff. We're definitely trying that. Is there something you learned as a consultant that you have found useful running a company? Oh, many things. At McKinsey, when, you, when you're on a new assignment, um, you always talk to people that have done something in that space before. So you're, you're not afraid to show that you have no clue about, uh -huh. even though you're getting paid a lot of money to consult on a company. And that's something that we have applied it on heavily. You know, like we're able to, as a, as a startup entrepreneur, you have access to a lot of people that are just helping you because they feel for you because they've been in the same situation. What's your second favorite brand of running shoes? Well, I'll have to pass on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Casper Capetti is the co-founder of On. Today's show was produced by Edith Russolo. It was edited by Sarah Nix and Robert Smith and engineered by Amanda K. Wong. I'm Jacob Goldstein. You can find me on Twitter at Jacob Goldstein, or you can email us at problem at pushkin.fm. We'll be back next week with another episode of What's Your Problem?